Well, again, it's so good to uh, spend some time together today to worship together and now to open God's word. As we do so, let's just pray uh, for a moment together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we praise you for who you are. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your faithfulness, for your wisdom in bringing us together now. As we open up your, your word, Father, we just ask uh, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, challenge us, and bring us closer to you. Amen. Uh, well, I'm curious as we begin our time together in God's word, um, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you were carrying something and you weren't sure if you had the strength to do so. Um, last summer, my wife and I, we joined the masses of people that were looking for a house, um, which was super fun. And, and we were fortunate enough to move into our home in St. Charles back in August. And shortly after we did so, uh, her parents drove up and just brought like a whole trailer worth of stuff that they were trying to get rid of. It was great. Um, and one of the things that they brought was this old piano that they had. Um, now, we don't play the piano. So I'm not sure why we said yes to taking this piano, but we did. Uh, I believe my wife's uh, reason was that she wanted our home to be a home of music, and I didn't know what that meant, but she was pregnant, and I was too scared to argue with her. So we took the piano. <laughs> and so I convinced a few friends to help me out, and we're moving this thing in, and it's not very big, you know, relatively speaking, for, for a piano. And, and so we, we lift this up, and we're trying to get it up the stairs to our new home, and it is like the heaviest thing I have ever lifted. Like, I was on the bottom, I was trying to push it up, someone else is pulling it, and, and my knees are hurting, and I'm just gasping for air, I'm trying to just get this thing up here, and I never thought I was going to be trampled by a musical instrument until that day. I thought it was really going to happen. And, and finally, we get it up the stairs, and I'm just completely out of breath, just kind of shocked at how much that took out of me. And next time you see my wife, you can ask her when the last time we used it to play music was, and when the last time we used it as storage for our baby's toys. Just do that for me. That would be great. Today, though, I want to talk to you about weight, about unexpected weight, and, and in particular, the unexpected weight of suffering. If you were here last week, we, we took a week off from our series that we've been working through, this book of Mark, Following the King. We, we did what we called Celebration and Vision Weekend. We celebrated God's faithfulness to us as a church, and then we looked ahead to where we believed he might be calling us to go. And today, as we return back to this book of Mark series that we've been going through ever since the fall, as we have just a few weeks left until Easter Sunday, we return to the life of Jesus in some of the final hours of his life. If you were here two weeks ago, we left things off where he was with his disciples, and he instituted what we call communion, this meal that we take to remember, to remember the promise, the covenant that he makes with those who follow him. That brings us to today's passage we see in Mark chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me there now. We see this as Jesus takes his disciples after that meal to the Garden of Gethsemane. He begins to feel in this moment that we're going to see the unexpected weight of suffering. It's a pivotal moment in his life and even in our faith as he wrestles with the knowledge of what is to come for him. My guess is that today, for some of us, maybe not to the same extent, but we, we understand the weight of suffering in some way, don't we? Maybe today you've come here and you're feeling that weight. You feel like you are carrying something and you don't know if you will have the strength to go on. 
Maybe you've come here wondering if, if something is just too much, too heavy, if it's just going to trample you like I thought that piano might. And so our goal today is to look at that and to look at the example of Jesus and to see what he has to show us today. So let's turn now to Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 32. The words will be on the screen as well. It says this, And they, that's Jesus and the, and the disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This is the first thing I want to show you as we work our way through this moment in his life. We see this hour of sorrow. An hour of sorrow. I don't know um, if anyone else did this. I I asked this last night and like no one knew what I was talking about, so hopefully some of you will. Um, Did anyone, when you were in school, have this project where you had to build a bridge out of toothpicks and glue? Anybody sound familiar? Okay, some of us? Okay, thank you. I didn't know if it was just me. I thought I was going crazy. But, but anyways, if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, basically that was it. You had this assignment where you were given two things that you could use, toothpicks and glue, and you had to build as strong of a bridge as you possibly could. And so you would do this, you would put this together, and then what would happen is you would turn it in and your teacher would start putting weights onto the bridge. And you would see kind of how strong your foundation was, how much weight it could withstand. And it was just incredible to me to see how much weight with these two simple things our bridges could hold. And I remember when it was my turn, I I gave my bridge to my teacher and she started putting all these weights on. And every, every time she would put on another weight, my breath would just, please, please hold on, please be strong enough. And I still remember I got second place. I was so close. It's fine. This is the situation, though, that we find Jesus as he sits there in the garden that night. Some of you might know this, but the word Gethsemane literally means olive press. It was this beautiful garden that's actually still there today. In fact, there's a a picture you can see of the garden, and it's a little bit blurry and fuzzy, but you can kind of see the beauty of it. You can see why Jesus wanted to go here to pray, can't you? In fact, we're told that this was Jesus' kind of go-to spot. Whenever he was in the area, he would come here to pray. You can see, maybe you have a a place in your life that connects you to God's creation, to the beauty where you can feel his presence to pray. So he comes here, and and many people would go there. In order to get uh, olive oil, they would use what was called an olive press. I brought a picture of that as well. And you can see here that they would drop the olives into the press, and then they would crush it with this heavy metal, or this heavy uh, stone, rather. They would take this stone and they would roll it all the way around to get the oil out that they needed to absolutely crush these olives. This is what's happening to Jesus as well. We're told in Isaiah chapter uh, 53 that Jesus was to be crushed for our sin, crushed for our iniquities, that his blood was to be shed. This is the weight that Jesus felt that night in the garden. We see in verse 33 that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. These words literally meaning that he was shocked, astonished, that he was overcome with fear. Now that's not a picture that we often think about when it comes to Jesus. 
We don't often think about Jesus falling to the ground, unable to have the strength to even stand because of the emotions that he had. Why? Why did he feel that way? What was the reason for these emotions? Why did this weight affect him more than anything else he had experienced in his life? Is it simply the, the physical violence that was coming his way, all the things that he knew were ahead of him, the betrayal, the mocking, the death on the cross? Well, no, it can't be. He knew that was coming. In fact, he had been telling his disciples that to expect this, that that was going to be how this all ended. He had been preparing them for that. So no, it can't just be the physical that causes Jesus this fear, but instead, here's what's happening. What's happening is what we see Paul write about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That Jesus, the one who knew no sin, was becoming sin on our behalf. In other words, he was becoming face to face with the sin of the world. In this moment, he looked to the Father and he saw wrath and judgment. Where before he had only known harmony. And it is completely overwhelming to him. In his book, Jesus the King, uh, Timothy Keller talks about this, the, the necessity of God's wrath to understand God's love. He says this, this is a, a quote from that book. He says, picture on the left a God who pays nothing in order to love you, and picture on the right the God of the Bible who, because he's angry at evil, must go to the cross, absorb the debt, pay the ransom, and suffer immense torment. How valuable are you to the God of the Bible? Valuable enough that he would go to these depths for you. There's a, a famous hymn that we sang at our Saturday service last night, and many of you will be familiar with it, called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Some of you know that hymn. You've sung it before. And there's a, a line in that song that, that has stood out to me recently in a way that, that I think explains what's going on here in the garden. The line is this. It says, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. See, this is why this moment is so important, so pivotal in our faith. Because here in the garden, Jesus comes face to face with the sin of the world, with sins of war and pandemics and all of these things bigger than us, but he also comes face to face with your brokenness and with mine. He saw my sin that night in the garden. He saw my brokenness. He saw my imperfections. He saw all of the things, and before it kept him on the cross, he felt it in the garden. How valuable are you to God? Look no further than here. The next time you find yourself questioning if God truly loves you or is truly for you, look no further than the garden. Many of us, I think, uh, fall into this trap of, of believing that God's love is something that we can earn or that we have to earn. For many people, that's what faith is about, about being good enough, about doing enough things. But here's the reminder for, for us today, that this moment that this story is proof that Jesus' love for you does not depend on your victories or your greatest moments or your faithfulness or even your obedience. Jesus' love for you remained and was even proved to be enough when he was staring your sin right in the face. 
when it dropped him to the ground, when it caused him to cry out to his father. His love for you has nothing to do with what you can offer him. It has nothing to do with what you can do for him. It has everything to do with what he has already done for you. What he was willing to endure, the very thing that we see proven here in this hour of sorrow. This is the type of Savior that is worthy of our praise. The kind of king worth following. That brings us to the second thing I want to point out to you. We see next this hour of surrender. An hour of surrender. Um, I remember certain things uh, didn't make sense to me until I became a parent recently. Uh, certain things people would say to me, in particular, I remember one thing that, that oftentimes friends would tell me, that, that they would say, there's nothing like when your child calls you dad or calls you mom. And that never made sense to me, because like, what else are you going to call them? Like, it, it just didn't click until I became a parent, and now it makes complete sense to me. In fact, I, my wife didn't know this until I shared this with her last night, but, but uh, I'm currently trying to subliminally plant the word dad inside my son's head so it becomes his first word. I'm, I'm working on this, so like, I'll say the word dad, and then I'll like, smile really big and laugh and, and try to get him all excited. It's kind of like Inception, if you've seen that movie. That's what I'm doing to my son, and, and I, I'm not saying it's great, but I'm also not going to stop either. Um, I thought about doing the opposite, or like saying mom and then like putting him in his crib and walking away, but that felt like too far. <laughs> that, that's where the line is. Um, but, but that's just where I'm at right now, just, just longing for that day. The longing of any father or, or any parent for their child to call for their name. And here in the garden, that's what we see Jesus do. We see that Jesus has a name for his father as well. And that is the name that he cries out next. Look with me to the next verse here. This is verse 36. Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. This is Jesus' prayer that night. This prayer that he has. Try to picture this with me if you can. Picture Jesus here experiencing this weight that we've been talking about, trying to answer the question that my bridge had to answer as well. Will he have the strength to endure it? As one that is fully God and yet also fully man, will he have the fortitude? Will he be able to hold on, or will he flee? Will he call down angels? Will he scatter his enemies? Will he do any number of hundreds of things that were available to him? What does he do? He prays. He prays to God, and think about that for just a minute. That Jesus, the one who has done countless miracles, who has fed thousands and healed many and raised people from the dead, the one with unlimited power and unlimited options. The one who could do things that we can never do did the one thing that we can always do. He took his friends. He took his disciples. He took his inner circle, the same ones that saw him transfigured into his heavenly self on this mountaintop moment of glory. And he said, come with me into the valley of the shadow of death. This is what you do. You cry out to your Father. How many of us have experienced those moments as well? 
How many of us have experienced these moments of pain or of anguish or of hurt or of loss, moments where we've cried out to God, God, take this from me. I do not have the strength to go on. Maybe that's where you find yourself today, crying out to God. Look at these words, though. Put this verse back on the screen if you can. Put verse 36 back up there. Look at what Jesus prays. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Abba, this this word that, that the Hebrews would use for their dads, it was a word that was unique to the relationship between child and father. It was a word that was used to show respect, but also familiarity and connection. I don't know, maybe you have a relationship like that. I know for me, uh, at some point when I was a kid, I stopped calling my dad, dad, and I started calling him pop. I don't know why I did this. I think at first I wanted to like bother him and I thought it would annoy him. Uh, And at some point it stopped being about that though. And it started just being this term of, uh, of affection that I had for him. I wouldn't use it for anybody else and nobody else used it for him. It was just for the two of us. That's what this word Abba is. It was reserved for this personal connection, this intimate relationship that a father should have with his child. So often we refer to God as our heavenly father, and and maybe we don't often think about what that means. Maybe for you, you, you struggle with that term because your earthly father makes it difficult to want another one. But here Jesus shows us what this relationship is to be, that this is how we should pray not as some ritual with fancy spiritual words, but as a child calls out to his father. Jesus goes on, he declares that all things are possible for you. Did you catch that? Did you catch what he's doing here? That that Jesus, in in his lowest moment, begins this prayer by, by calling out God's name and then praising him for what he knows to be true. That even when he's in his darkest moment, that he knows God's character, regardless of his circumstances. Who God is is not based on our feelings, and it's not based on our fears, but it's based on how he has revealed himself to be faithful. Just because we don't see his goodness doesn't mean he stopped being good. Just because we don't see his plan doesn't mean that there isn't one. Friends, what if this is how we prayed? What if before we present our requests to God, which is good and important to do, what if we begin here, praising God for who he is and how he has revealed himself to us? Look then to the second part of this prayer, these words that Jesus cries out. He says, take this cup from me. This cup of of wrath and judgment and suffering. And again, try to imagine this. Try to picture and feel what he was feeling. Maybe you've prayed this prayer before. God, if there's any other way, if there's anything you can do, if there's something else that could happen, now is the time for you to move. Take this away from me. In Luke's gospel, we're told that in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's tempted three times by the devil, and then after that, he leaves him for a more opportune time. That's what we're told, for a more opportune time. Many people believe that this is that time, 
that here Jesus experienced this temptation where he could have refused or fled, where he had every right to end his prayer right here. But what does he do? He does what he taught his disciples to do. The way that he taught them to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He says, God, not my will, but yours be done. He says, this time, temptation in the garden will not lead to the sin that got us here in the first place. This time, temptation in the garden will only lead to trust and surrender and obedience. This, by the way, this is the moment, the words, the prayer that sealed the victory of good over evil. This is the victory of the cross determined not in front of crowds or not on a trial or not as he was being beaten or mocked, but here, when he determined in the quiet moment of prayer that he would surrender to God. The same thing is true for us, by the way. Have you ever known someone who just had unshakable trust in God? who, when they were going through a a difficult time, their their lowest moment where they just had this faith that God was still going to be good, that that God was going to be glorified no matter what happened. You ever know someone like that? You ever wanted to be that kind of person? Not known how? This is how. Jesus shows us right here that this is what we do. In Luke chapter 5, we're told that Jesus would often withdraw to pray that he developed this prayer muscle the same way you develop any other muscle. Repetition. Practice. That even when crowds were surrounding him, trying to make him king, when he was doing these great miracles, he would withdraw and he would pray. He would go to his father. And because he developed this rhythm in the mountaintops, it was strong enough in the valley. This is what victory looks like in the kingdom of God. It looks like surrender. It looks like crying out to God. It looks like giving him the requests of your heart, but having the faith to say, not my will, yours be done. Many of us are struggling with any number of things today. What if this is how we would pray? What if we would cry out to our Father, praise him for who he is, and then ultimately, have the trust in his plan to say, not our will, yours. This is unshakable faith. Faith that is strong enough to withstand anything. This is the faith that is available to those of us that follow the king. Okay, last thing. Last thing we see here, we see this hour of temptation. An hour of temptation. Let me finish this story with you. We're going to start in verse 37. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. He came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So here we see this contrast. We see this contrast between Jesus and the disciples, both in the midst of temptation. Jesus proving to be faithful and willing to surrender, and the disciples struggling to do so. 
I think it's easy for us as we think about these disciples, and it's easy maybe to, to look at them with a little bit of judgment, to say, how could you fall asleep on Jesus? You just committed to, to him that you were never going to leave him or betray him. He's going through this terrible time. He's been there for you all of these days. How could you do that? And yet, isn't that such a human thing to do? Um, recently, uh, our, our son woke us up in the middle of the night. He's just a few months old, and, and a few times, um, it seems to happen this way, where, where he doesn't need to eat, he doesn't need anything, he just wants comfort. He just wants to be held. And so we woke up, it was like four in the morning, and my wife asked if, if I could do it. It was my turn, and, and I was exhausted, but at the same time, I kind of love when he falls asleep on me. And so I, I say, okay, and, and I start trying to get up, and the next thing I knew, I look over, and she's holding him, just giving me like a death stare. And I asked her what happened, and she said, well, you said you would, and then you fell asleep, and you wouldn't wake back up. <laughs> the spirit was willing. The flesh was weak. How often is that true of us, though? How often are we reminded of that being the case, where we fall into these patterns, where we do these things that we do not want to do? How often are we reminded of our need, not just for God's correction that we see here, but for his grace, for his mercy? How often are we reminded of our need for the cross? This is what's happening here, that Jesus, this, this rabbi, this teacher, is trying to give his disciples one more lesson in the time that they have together. He's saying, this is what it takes to be ready. This is what it takes to keep watch. This is what it means to be prepared for what is ahead of you. All of his disciples ahead in their futures was hatred and persecution and difficulty, all in the name of Christ. And here Jesus says, this is what it means to have the strength to endure it. This is what it takes to have faith that is strong enough. Recognizing that relying on your own strength your own flesh, your own power will always have its limits. True strength comes from surrendering to the Spirit of God. Mark doesn't give us any more details of, of what happened as Jesus prayed, but, but in Luke's gospel, we actually get something that's really important. We're told this in Luke chapter 22, that, that as Jesus prayed this prayer, an angel appeared from heaven and strengthened him. And here, we see that strength. We see this shift where, where Jesus no longer is afraid and overwhelmed, where he has been strengthened. He's able to declare that the time has come, the time for his betrayal and suffering and death and becoming of sin on our behalf. And this is the final truth about prayer that we need to know today as well. That here in this moment, the Father has answered Jesus' prayer even if it wasn't what he was asking for. So often we do this. We, we pray for God to remove suffering and pain and obstacles, and again, that's a good thing to do. And certainly there are cases in which he answers those prayers with a yes. But oftentimes, instead of removing our suffering, he instead gives us strength to endure it. He strengthens us just as he strengthened his son. He gives us community to help bear it. He gives us his words to encourage us. He gives us his spirit to guide us. He strengthens us. 
See, to pray your will and not mine is a dangerous prayer. And yet, if you pray it, we'll see what Jesus saw as well, that we are given what we need. The truth is, we know many of us are are here today, and, and it feels like we're carrying some weight, doesn't it? feels like we're carrying something. Maybe it's a, a weight of grief or of loss or of fear or of anxiety. Maybe for you, you, you know what it is to try to carry weight on your own. To try to, to carry something that you just don't know if you have the strength to endure. Maybe like the disciples, you know what it is to fall. And so today, just as we close, what I want you to do is this. I just want to invite you just to take a moment and to do what Jesus did. To do what he showed us to do. To go to your Father in prayer. To take a moment praising him, worshiping him for who he is and how he has revealed himself to you. Bring your request to him, but then close with this. God, not my will, but yours be done. Give me what you know that I need, and I will trust you in that. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we do praise you for who you are. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness and for your wisdom. Lord, we trust you, even if we don't know fully what's going on. God, I know in this room there, there's so many things that we could ask for. We could ask for healing. We could ask for reconciliation. We could ask for peace. God, in all these things, we do ask that you would move, that you would show your strength and your spirit and your power. But more than that, we ask for your will to be done. We ask that your will would be done in our church in our communities, in our families, and in our world. Because we believe and we surrender whatever we think is best to what we know about you. Help us with this, Father, each and every day. Amen.